0: Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyas Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today is a distinguished doctor with a career in digital technology, primary care and entrepreneurship. But what is most evident in our conversation is that his interest in all of those things is driven by his love of patients and his love of medicine and all that he can do to improve outcomes in healthcare. My guest on the podcast today is Dr. Danny Sands. You're very, very welcome to the show, Danny. I'm thrilled to be speaking to another family doctor or internist, as you say, in the US. And that's where I wanted to start the conversation. Why did you become an internist? Because you clearly would have had the capacity to do anything in medicine. Why that particular specialty?
1: Good question, Moyas. And let me say thank you for inviting me here. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun conversation, I think. I wasn't quite certain I was going to do medicine in, at all. I actually went off to uh, uh, university uh, thinking that I was my medicine was one of the things I was thinking of. But I was also thinking about a field of engineering called operations research because I was uh, fascinated with information technology. And the, the thing that interested me about medicine was actually about diagnosis. It's about using on my intellect, on my knowledge to help people, in, in, uh, you know, with their their health problems, and my a friend of the family, i don't have any doctors in the family—but a friend of the family was the chief of neurology at the Cleveland Clinic, a very formidable institution, and he took me under his wing and uh, encouraged me in the direction of medicine. So I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to go on rounds with the chief of neurology at the Cleveland Clinic and his retinue of residents and medical students. And here I was, an 11th grader, uh, joining along with them. But I became really interested in the diagnostic process. And I became interested in how the relationships with patients really were important in understanding their stories and the patients' lives and their backgrounds and so on. So Ultimately, when I was making my decision about what to pursue, uh, while I was already in university, I decided to pursue uh, healthcare. But, and this is a big but, as I went through my training, Moyez, I went through my, you know, medical school, and I, I'm in residency, and I was continually frustrated that we were being asked to rely on our brains, our feeble brains, to know everything and and we weren't taking advantage of information technology that i knew could help improve the kind of care that we delivered so that just really frustrated me i was didn't know if i was going to leave healthcare altogether or what i was going to do about it so i did some thinking and some exploring and i found out that there was a um, there were other like-minded individuals who really wanted to take advantage of information technology in healthcare and this was a field called uh, medical informatics and so I sought out training in medical informatics at uh, uh, Harvard Medical School and Beth Israel. Uh, back in those days, it was called Beth Israel Hospital. And there were some pioneers that were working there and doing some really neat work. And they agreed to take me on as a fellow. So when I finished my residency, uh, which I really did enjoy, um, I did this fellowship, which is a very hands-on fellowship, where I, my metric of success as I did projects was how much they were these things were utilized it wasn't about creating cool science experiments it was about making things that were useful to uh, to the, the the doctors and nurses and other clinicians taking care of patients so i went on and did this and i you know sort of moved from from the uh, the, the fellowship part of it to operational informatics uh, work at the medical center which i did for a great many years but here's the thing an interesting inflection point was that as i was in my own practice and here i am practicing medicine And, you know, a lot of my time delivering tools that I'm using as well as my colleagues are using to practice medicine, including clinical decision support systems, electronic health record, physician's portal, all this kind of stuff. And I did that because I wanted to empower clinicians taking care of patients. But what I learned in my own practice is that these same tools could be equally empowering to patients and to caregivers. And that really changed the course of my career. So the first aha moment for me was that I started doing something really crazy back in those days. This is in uh, uh, the early 90s. I started using email with patients and my colleagues thought I was totally nuts. And, uh, but I realized that this was really powerful and it was great for the patients. It was actually great for me, too, for so many ways. And we don't have time to discuss this, of course, but there are a lot of reasons why that's the case. And then when the uh, the web, the World Wide Web, burst on the scene, it wasn't just the old internet. There were health websites, and I realized that health information online could be empowering too. And then in my own institution, I helped develop one of the nation's first patient portals that allowed patients to communicate with their doctors and nurses securely through a secure website, but also allowed them to get information, including their own health information, their records. They could see their records online. That, that was great, but 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 this work that I was doing. So I, along the email front, I co-authored the very first guidelines on how to use email with patients, and I started teaching people about this and talking about it. And uh, I got the attention of a uh, a person named Tom Ferguson, who was a physician, but he never practiced medicine. Instead, he became interested with how patients, people, could be their own doctors in many cases, and how they accessed information and. Related things to that, and he became interested with how dysfunctional healthcare was, and how physician-focused rather than patient-focused it was. And he defined this term called e-patients, where the e didn't stand for electronic; it stood for uh, it stands for engaged, educated, enlightened, and empowered. Tom brought together a group of people, and I was one of them because of the work I was doing with patient-provider communication. And uh, these group of people were interested in all different aspects of making healthcare different and taking advantage of information technologies. So it included people uh, as diverse as Susanna Fox, who was doing research with a big organization about how the internet was transforming healthcare. It included uh, Joe and Terry Graydon, who ran a website to help people understand their medications better and deal with the side effects. Uh, People who uh, ran the very first online support groups for patients with specific diseases, really a diverse group of people. And we met year after year for a long weekend retreat. And we talked about how healthcare could be better and what we were doing to make it better and so on. Well, after Tom died, sadly, we kept meeting and we decided we wanted to make this dream a reality. And so in 2009, this group decided to create a a nonprofit or an NGO to make Healthcare different to transform the culture of patient care, and we call that organization the Society for Participatory Medicine. And we we have members all over the world who are patients, advocates, their are doctors, their nurses, their health researchers, healthcare executives, etc. And we have a peer-reviewed journal, and we're really trying to make people think differently about healthcare. We're trying to do education and and, and so on. So that's sort of in a nutshell uh, all of that. And I will just add one other thing, if you you would let me, which is that in my professional career, I left doing IT work at Beth Israel Deaconess, but I kept seeing patients there. And instead, I actually went to industry and have worked with a bunch of very innovative companies over the years doing really interesting things in healthcare. And then I continue to see patients and do a little bit of teaching part of my time. And so that's kind of what I've been up to. uh, And that's what I do professionally.
0: That's fantastic. And what really strikes me is how a medical degree can be so malleable and you you can move in different directions. The idea that you go to medical school and you end up working purely on the clinical shop front, as it were, is simply not true. It's a a degree that's a passport to so many different avenues, as you've demonstrated, What I wanted to pivot on a little bit now is the whole idea of health informatics, because when you talk to clinicians, they often see it as a two-edged sword. They say, yeah, on the one hand, it's fantastic. I can share information with colleagues. I can make sure that the patient isn't being asked the same question again and again throughout the system, that x-rays and scans and whatever else are being shared amongst all of us. But on the other hand, I spend my life feeding the machine. And you'll have heard this before, I can see from your expression, where do you think this is going to go? Do you think it's always going to be like that? Or do you think that we are going to move into another phase of informatics and how it's used in healthcare?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I spent really the first part of my career extolling the virtues of electronic health records. And when I helped create an electronic health record that is still in use, used by many, many people throughout our health uh, system uh, here in Boston, when we created this, we created this system. It was created by clinicians for clinicians. So... I worked with my colleagues who were in clinical informatics and we developed this thing and we weren't told by bean counters, this is how it needs to work and this is how we need to do billing and this and that. We were really trying to create a trend to create a tool that would help us take better care of patients and recall the information we needed. Now, to be fair, almost any electronic health record is going to require some care and feeding. But what has happened over the years and it's it's a little bit like this in Australia, I know, because I've been there a number of times. But, but in the United States, what happened is the whole mission was corrupted. So we were an early institution, early adopter of electronic health records, and we built the system in such a way that was pro- about providing care. Subsequent iterations of electronic health records built by companies were often done so for the wrong reasons to some extent. They were built to optimize billing, for example. They were, they were built perhaps in some cases by engineers who really didn't understand clinical care or workflow or anything else. And if you look at an electronic health, ref, health record from an engineer's perspective, well, clearly everything needs to be structured and there needs to be a box for everything. But as a, as a, as a system designer, what I can tell you is that there is a cost to acquiring that kind of atomic information. And we need to strike a balance between structured and unstructured information. So while it may be, cri- while it is critical, for example, to capture structured information in a medication list or a vital sign or a laboratory test, it's not critical to do that when you're capturing the patient story, the history of the present illness. Right? It's just not. And and in fact, at the other end of your 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 documentation, the impression and plan. If we really try to reduce that to a series of check boxes, we're going to lose so much context and we're going to lose, really we will lose information as we try to force fit that. So, so I think that we need systems that are designed with that understanding of how workflow should work and how thinking should work. We need to be helping the clinician get through their visit and not hindering it, not slowing it down in any way. Today, if I were still working on, elect- on our electronic health record, I'd be focusing all, all about workflow. Yeah, that's what it'd be about, that workflow and how do we create a-, a great user experience, which I think we didn't do in of when I was working on that many years ago. So, uh, so, So I think that's really the answer, is that we need to think about why are we using this in the first place? It should not be a tool for optimizing billing.
0: Yeah, I hear you, and I think everyone who heard you say that, got the message loud and clear. The system simply is not fit for purpose. But the genie is out of the lamp and the accountants are not going to let this go without a fight. They're very keen to make sure that we bill for every single thing that keeps the lights on. How do you think we can address that? How do we make sure that they're satisfied that the organization's not going to go bust? But at the same time, the very thing that makes that income, generates that income, keeps on going because it delivers on the promise of good medical care.
1: I really believe this, and I'm going to make this statement very clearly, and I learned this a long time ago, is that we cannot allow clinical clinical care, whether it's electronic health records or anything else, to be placed in the hands of the suits, the managers, the people who are counting beans, whatever we are the key pieces of this equation it's not the layers of management in our institutions and we need to assert that right and we need you know so we need to be at the table when decisions are being made about what electronic health record to choose how it's going to be used whatever any of these things we need to be part of that 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 discussion i think that the other thing that is going to be changing and I know it's starting to change a little bit in Australia, and it is uh, changing in the United States, although too slowly. Which is that it's the move from fee for service healthcare to a value based uh, care, in which we're paid for producing value, value in terms of outcomes and uh, you know satisfaction in many cases, and and those, and keeping costs down and so on. So if we're if we're actually improving quality. And keeping costs down, we and we then we don't have to do this fee for service stuff where we got to check boxes in order to incrementally increase our our revenue. Because then it becomes really a different discussion. Because then we say, okay, you've got a fixed amount of money adjusted for the severity of your population, and you got to take care of this population. Go do it. You know that's all you got. You got to you got to ensure quality, got to ensure the satisfaction, and you got to do it within that budget we're going to think of a lot of wonderful ways to take care of patients that aren't going to include bringing them into the office for every little thing. And so that's where we need to move to, I think. We need to just totally think differently about this. Let's think about what's in the best interest of the patients.
0: Yes, I get that. And we're hearing this said here in Australia as well, that we need to move to a capitation system where you get paid a set amount of money to keep people healthy as opposed to make them better when they're sick. And that's that's the big argument, isn't it? But I'm thinking more in terms of the, the creative in you. And I was very interested to read recently that things like 3D printing is going to change medicine quite dramatically because the next time somebody comes in with a problem, an anatomical problem, whether that's a cancer or whether that's a, a hip that needs replacing, I'll be able to print out that organ on my printer based on the CT and the MRI and have a proper discussion with that patient about exactly what needs to be done so that they can actually see what we're working on. That would be such a powerful way for us to communicate and for technology to really step in as a tool that we can really use in family medicine, particularly because a lot of the time, the best we can do is take out a piece of paper and draw out what we think is the problem and try and explain it to the patient. This would be much more powerful. How far do you think we are from that being a reality?
1: Well, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not very, even though I've worked in healthcare technology my whole career, I'm not very breathless about many technologies because, you know, to be honest with you, we have 3D models that are on the desks of all, many of us and then certainly on the orthopedist and the cardiologist says they can throw, show us a 3D model of a, a, a heart or the colon or a, a knee and so on and they use they use these for education. It will be incrementally better if we could actually custom print a 3D model that actually shows the specific lesion the patient has. but on the other hand, I don't actually think there's a value in it and I'm going to tell you why because we could actually just take their images today, And with a little bit more computing power on our desktop, we can actually rotate these images in 3D, whether it is the heart or it's the knee joint or whatever, and we can use that as the educational tool. It's probably not worth the time and the overhead to actually print a solid model of, of, of these things.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. And I can see that you could do that. The problem, of course, is that at the moment we're feeding the beast and we're at the point where we're so busy collecting the data from the patient that we don't take the time to do what the technology could allow us to do, whether that's showing them a 3D model on the screen or saying, look, I'll just print this out for you and I can show you where the blockage is in your your heart, etc. So we need to turn the tools that technology allows us to be much more workflow-friendly, as it were, allow us to use it in the way that you and I would love to use it those of us who see patients, those of us who try and communicate issues in a way that has proper shared decision-making, where you can end up with a conversation where we both agree because we both see what the problem is. That's the dream. And you're at the forefront of this. Now, wondering what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, is that technology can be used for good or for evil. It can, it can uh, get in the way or it can really help us. And right now, it's often getting in the way. And if you look at the electronic health record, how often do we see doctors with their head buried in their screen ignoring the patient because they're really communicating more with the computer than they are with the patient? And in fact, just so your listeners know, there is a literature on uh, etiquette of use of EHR and how you should most effectively use that in the office. But there are so many examples of this where the te- you know the technology, ideally, we should be using this technology so that it's helping us uh, get through the visit more efficiently. We should have other staff that's doing things that we don't need to be spending time doing, right? And they should be leveraging technology to help upskill them themselves uh, while they're doing it because the computer tells them what to ask and how to enter the information, whatever. And then more of our time should be able to be spent in value-added things like doing shared decision making and getting a proper history from a patient. And, and I just cannot—I cannot overstate how important that is. Is that if our students should be learning one important thing, which is that spend the time to get a careful history from your patients, because if you do that, they will do better. You will order fewer tests. You'll refer to fewer specialists. Everybody's gonna everything's gonna be better. And when you are writing your impression and plan, you that should be a thinking process. You should be writing, crafting that thought process while you're doing it. That thought process is the other end of this. How do I make sense of this information? Now, I know there are technologies out there, because I hear about them all the time in this space, where they say, Oh, We have a system that will passively listen to your conversation with the patient and write a history of her present illness. Now, in my view, that is incredibly naive. So sure, you can do a transcript of that, but it is really not going to... Part of our job is to distill this meandering conversation with a patient into something that makes sense, that, that helps us move to the next steps. And it's really hard to do that in an automated way. But how can technology help us? Well, I don't think there's a shortcut around getting the patients, the history of the present illness, but we may, hang on, we may be able to capture some of this stuff ahead of time. So the patient should ideally be interacting with the computer, even at home. And they can can have a computer that's asking them the relevant questions, starting to build a timeline and uh, gathering some of the data from them at home and so on. And that can be fuel that can help drive some of this. And I think that, you know, patients can also, and by the way, we're doing that. There's already a, um, uh, some work being done in that. And although I'm sure all of your uh, listeners know about open notes, well, the next stage of that is our notes, where we have patients pre-entering information before they come to the doctor's office and saying, what are their priorities? What do they want to be talking about? So we can then start thinking about that ahead of time. But, but the next stage is, well, let's see if the patient can sort of record a history. Ahead of time, right? And that would be kind of interesting. You know, could they, I don't know if they're able to write it down or maybe, you know, type it or record it in a video. And there may be some value in that. Maybe that's time saving, but maybe it's not. But as we have data, we certainly can have systems that are running in the background that are helping us make sense of this data. And although our impression and plan might have a differential diagnosis that considers this and this and this and this and this, this, the computer may say, you know what, you might want to consider these other things that you didn't think about. And they may be more likely than the things you thought about. So that's the way the intelligence should be working with us. We should have systems that bring together information from the patient's home, from the pharmacies, from all the places they may be getting their cares, from their fitness trackers, whatever, and processing this information. This becomes big data, right? And it can be helping us to churn through this information. And as information comes in, it can be revising, you know, it, it, this artificially intelligent agent will be revising its uh, its prior probabilities, right? And giving us additional thoughts. And maybe we have just a little agent in the corner of the screen that's always running and, and uh, looking through this information. So I think there are all kinds of really cool things we can do. And when we're talking about making medical decisions, we can have information tools that help us. Because think about this. It's hard to keep track of all the medical literature, isn't it? And know all the latest studies and know the results of all the Timmy trials and what have you. But computers are pretty good at this, right? So why can't we have electronic decision aids? And there are some examples of this. But we should be using these things in, in complex areas, like whether we should medically or an intervention or use medical management for this cardiac disease or how we should treat this particular uh, malignancy, or even whether or not we should do uh, use a PSA for prostate cancer screening. All of these things really demand shared decision-making. And to your point earlier, Moyes, the system has made it so that we're trying to get patients out of the office as quickly as possible. And it robs us of the high-valued services that we can provide and the opportunity to to do education and shared decision-making.
0: That's a wonderful, wonderful pricey of where we're up to. If you were to look back on your career 15 years from now, what will your legacy be, Danny? What's the one thing you'd like to be remembered for?
1: Well, that's a really hard question, uh, Moyes, but but I, I think that certainly we all want to be known for our families and our roles in our families i think that's important but i think you meant professionally i'd like to be known for my work with the society for participatory medicine because i think that era, that work is very very important and needs to be done and i'd like to be known for the work i've done with patients as you know uh, since we're probably a similar vintage you know you have these relationships with patients which can go back decades and just today, I was—I um, i had a, a, a woman who died from uh, advanced Alzheimer's disease, and she had been my patient for 25 years or something like that. And I knew her husband, who was not my patient, and, and sadly, she passed away in hospice care. And I called him just to talk about her and to give my condolences. And you know, those relationships are important, and 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 I think that's important to me. And then finally. I think my, my, uh, my impact on the companies that I've worked with, I think, is very important to me. And, and I, I'd like to be known for that. I'd like to be known for the, con- to the, for the contributions I've been able to make in the uh, digital health space.
0: The wonderful thing about your work, Danny, and the wonderful thing about your contribution is that it comes from a place of knowing what it's like in that intimate space that we call the consulting room, the doctor and the patient. You've been there, you've worked there, you understand how that works. And that's what makes your voice so powerful. That's what gives you such credibility, not just with patients, but with your colleagues and with the people that you're working with to create all of these innovations. It's been a great honor speaking with you today. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. Let's talk again really soon.
1: That sounds great, Moyas. It's been great fun. I look forward to talking with you again
0: the Journal of Health Design. Better Health by Design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.